This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Wednesday, on an awesome Wednesday, a fantastic Wednesday after the Suns close out another sick win after defeating the Bucks in double overtime a couple days ago. Today they come out and beat Philadelphia. And a whole lot of people are going to see here, oh, Simmons wasn't playing, no, Tobias Harris wasn't playing. Those things are true. But those same 76ers fans just were cheering on Joel Embiid beating a shorthanded Nets team. So I don't want to hear it. A win is a win. A win is a win, especially when you're coming off a double overtime game and you're battling an MVP candidate who should be able to carry his team when he's shorthanded. I mean, let's just be honest. If Joel Embiid is the MVP like 76ers fans would have us believe, then he should be able to carry a team when he's shorthanded. And he did that tonight. He carried them. The game was incredibly close. But the Suns came out on top, as they have been doing over and over. Pretty much every time lately, minus that Spurs atrocity. I don't want to call it a game. I just want to call it an atrocity. But it's one of those things, even the really great teams have games where they just don't show up, and that's what happened with the Suns and Spurs game, they didn't show up. But they rebounded to win in double overtime against the Bucks in a game where they were win- losing by nine late. You know, that Bucks game, the Suns were down. There was a point where Drew Holiday drove on the baseline and threw down a vicious dunk and put the Bucks up nine, and you could just feel like, you know, game over, essentially. But the Suns had no quit. And despite Chris Middleton hitting a bevy of incredible shots. I mean, I've said this before, but it's still true. Mikhail Bridges should be looking at Chris Middleton as, you know, the archetype of the top end sort of player he can be. I know that everyone wants to, you know, make the sort of Kawhi Leonard comparisons. And maybe, you know, maybe... Um, you know, Mikhail has that upside. He came into the league a little bit older than Kawhi. Um, I don't know that he can necessarily quite reach those heights. I, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. But I think Chris Middleton is an incredible comp for Mikhail Bridges in terms of, you know, Middleton has always been a good, you know, sort of off-ball shooter. He's been a good defender. He's gotten much better at handling the ball in pick and roll and things like that. And I think that that's sort of the next step for Mikhail Bridges. We've seen what Mikhail Bridges can do as an off-ball cutter, as an off-ball shooter, as a defender, as a 3 and D wing. We've all seen those things, but the next steps will be what can he do with the ball in his hands. And Chris Middleton, I've said it before, and I still think it's he's... I don't know if they're, you know, they don't have necessarily the exact same height and everything, but... You know, with the wingspan that, you know, Mikhail has, I really think it's an ideal comp. And, you know, I think that he can really become that kind of guy, the kind of guy who can give you 20 points and play great defense. And despite Chris Middleton, again, you know, just just being a motherfucking lights out shooter in this game. The Suns came away with the OT victory in double overtime on the foul. And then again tonight, the Suns came away with the victory against the 76ers. And the funny thing is I went on Twitter and I said the Suns won in double overtime against the Bucks, And then they went on the road and won against Philly. And all you dumbasses are going to tell me immediately is that Simmons and Harris were out. And I literally within 30 seconds got a tweet from some dumbass about how Simmons and Harris were out. And that's fair. You know, you're missing players, whatever. But again, if you're going to sit here and laud any victory you have over the Nets, 
as they have been juggling their roster, which 76ers fans have been doing, then you really can't tell me anything about how someone didn't beat you at full strength because, you know, really, truly, no one has basically beaten the Nets at full strength. They've they've basically never been at full strength. So, you know, if every single thing I've had to hear from 76ers fans over the last week or so matters, then what happened tonight matters. And if it didn't matter, then all right, fair enough. But the thing is, I'm like, I'm a big time 76ers guy. I've been on the 76ers. I've said a bunch of times that I believe that they're actually going to make the finals this year. I've picked them over the nets and really have continued to do so. So, you know, I, I, I find this sort of hatred towards me and my belief in the, you know, what the 76ers will do is disingenuous because I've been on this team. Truthfully, I have. I picked the Heat to win the Eastern Conference coming into this season just because, well, truthfully, I was misled by how well Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson had played. And, you know, interestingly enough, I'm a person who said that the bubble inflated the play of certain players, but I still believe that what Miami was doing was actually a little bit better than, you know, just your sort of random playoff run or whatever the case may be. Um, But it really doesn't seem to be the case. You know, Miami has come back as a middling team and whatever the factors for all of those things may be, um, you know, the 76ers and Nets have really sort of risen up as the teams to beat. We know that the Bucks are still there. It's hard to tell what you're going to get from the Celtics at any point, but the Nets and 76ers really, at least in this season, have risen up as the two true Eastern Conference powers. And, you know, after I sort of picked Miami coming into this season, I really, you know, at a certain point, I basically said, you know, I believe the 76ers are going to do this. They're the team. I was on dunks and discourse. I said the same thing. And I'm sticking with that. Like, as good as the Nets have been, their injury problems are real. Their chemistry problems are real. Their defensive problems are real. And I just still don't believe in that team in a seven-game series, no matter how good they are. I mean, Miami had LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh in their prime and still didn't win the titles in their first year. And I'm sorry, but Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are not in their primes. They both are too injured to be in their primes. And that's not disrespect towards those players. It's simply a fact that, you know, they're not quite in their prime anymore. Is James Harden in his prime? Absolutely. But... The idea that we know what we can expect from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is false, and even James Harden is hurt right now. So I just don't have faith in the Nets, and it's not because I don't believe in their talent, because I completely do believe in the talent of the Nets. Who couldn't? But how do you sit here and tell me that the injuries they've suffered, the chemistry problems that they have, the... Simple fact of the matter is that this is an entirely new staff with too many cooks. Like, there's so much going on with the Nets. And for all the people who say, well, talent is just going to win out over anything. I mean, maybe. I understand why people would say that. But you've got so many voices, so many star players, so many chemistry questions, so much stuff going on with the Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton thing. And then LaMarcus Aldridge suddenly retires when he was sort of starting to fit in. And how is Steve Nash as a new head coach? And is he taking too much from D'Antoni and blah, 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 blah. There's a billion things going on with the Nets. So this idea that just they have so much talent and they'll overcome all of it. Like, I'm sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. And that's not to say that... 
they can't win the title. They absolutely can. But it's not just talent over everything when your entire organization has completely changed over. You know, the Nets are a lot like the Clippers in that they built this really good organization full of really good talent that are young guys, role players, guys who understand what they're trying to do. And, you know, they made the playoffs and, you know, sort of outshot what they were supposed to do. And then they added superstars. And I know that those things aren't exactly comparable, but truthfully, like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George versus, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, those are, you know, those are fairly comparable additions. Now the Nets also added James Harden and that's different. And that may be the thing that puts them over the edge because obviously the Clippers were never able to add a James Harden. Obviously, I understand that. But it doesn't change the fact that both those organizations had sort of built something and then they completely cashed in what they had built for superstar players. In the case of the Clippers, it didn't work. You know, and that maybe had more to do with chemistry and the way that the Clippers players carried themselves. But, um, you know, the Nets... I, I don't root for injuries. I hate injuries. They're terrible. But we can't ignore that when the Nets signed Kevin Durant, he missed a season. And we can't ignore that Kyrie Irving has continued to have injury problems throughout his career. So those two signings were not bulletproof. And then I understand the idea that, okay, we're going to add James Harden. Now we have three stars. If one of our stars is missing, we're still bulletproof. We've got two superstars at all times, no matter what. I understand that idea. You've sacrificed all your depth. And none of these guys have had the ability to play together. I just don't, I don't think the Nets thing is going to work as well as everyone thinks this season. I really think the Nets might be incredible next season. Everyone is sort of forgetting we're in a really weird year and there are future years. And I really think that the Nets could be something that next season. But this year, I'm still, I'm still believing in the 76ers, truthfully. I am a believer in the 76ers. And so I think it's just funny that. 76ers fans would come and dog me when I'm sitting here saying, your team has it, your team's going to go to the next level because no one in the Eastern Conference can deal with Joel Embiid, and I still believe that. But I'm going to tell you who can deal with Joel Embiid, and that's the Phoenix Suns. You know, DeAndre Ayton is not going to get a lot of hype for this game because Joel still had an amazing game, but DeAndre made him work for everything. And I'm not saying that... DeAndre played a great lockout game defensively or something, but who is stopping Joel Embiid, just truthfully? I, you know, in terms of, like, like who's stopping LeBron? No one. Who's stopping Joel? No one. Who's stopping Kawhi? No one. You don't stop the greatest players. You make their lives a little more difficult. That's really all that you can hope to do. And DeAndre Ayton tonight made Joel Embiid's life a little more difficult. And two nights ago, he made Giannis's life a little more difficult. And this is the thing that people miss about DeAndre Ayton and that they have missed about him from the beginning, is that he is a phenomenal fucking one-on-one defender, especially against some of the league's largest stars. Is his offensive game perfect? No. Are his defensive rotations, especially in team defense, perfect? No. But when it comes to manning up and defending some of the biggest dudes in the league since his rookie season, DeAndre has been one of the best at that. Go look at DeAndre guarding Giannis in his rookie year. I was at the fucking game. Igor Kokoshkov was talking about how he thought that DeAndre would be able to do that after DeAndre successfully guarded LeBron two games before. Okay? So, 
None of this shit is new. If you've been paying attention to what DeAndre Ayton does, DeAndre manning up some of the best players in the league is not new. But in the last few days, he's really fucking shown it. Now, again, did Giannis still have a great game? Yes. Did Embiid still have a great game? Yes. These are some of the best dudes in the league. Giannis is the two-time MVP. Embiid is literally an MVP candidate. And Joel Embiid would literally be the MVP this season if he hadn't been injured. He's a better player than Nikola Jokic, but Jokic is going to win simply by having it appeared in more games. But Embiid's a better player. We all know that. Joel Embiid is an MVP caliber player. So the idea that DeAndre Ayton was just supposed to stop him, he's never going to stop him. But what did DeAndre do? He made his life just a little more difficult. He worked his ass off to make Joel work just a little bit harder. And that's all you can do with these guys. This idea that you can like be a stopper. No one can stop LeBron. No one can stop Anthony Davis. No one can stop Nikola Jokic. Shit, no one can stop Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, and Donovan Mitchell, okay? When those dudes are going, you can't stop them. When dudes are going in this league, you can't stop them. It's an offensive league, okay? The rules are catered to offensive players. So you can't stop these dudes. It's like football. You can't stop a quarterback when everything's rolling. The league is for that. All you can do is slow them down. You make it more difficult, okay? 20% more difficult, 25% more difficult, 15% more difficult, whatever it is. Make that pass a little harder. Make that shot a little harder. That's all you do. You can't stop these guys. But what DeAndre Ayton did today was make Joel work that much harder. And when Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris are out, well, that's it. And, I mean, as far as Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris being out, Devin Booker literally owns Ben Simmons. Go look. Devin Booker has the highest scoring average against the 76ers in history outside Michael Jordan. So this idea that Ben Simmons would have mattered is bullshit. Booker didn't even play well tonight, and the Suns still won. So fuck Ben Simmons. He's never been able to guard Devin Booker. He wouldn't been able to do it today. And, you know, if, you know, you're... Hopes of winning it all rest on Tobias Harris, then, you know, that's completely fine. But then, you know, your hopes of winning it all rest on Tobias Harris. And I think uh, all of us know what that means. So, you know, fuck it. This was an incredible win for the Suns. I don't give a shit. And this is two great wins in a row. And I'm sick of hearing, you know, when the Suns win games, it's devalued for whatever reason. Oh, they didn't win the last decade. They haven't been in the playoffs when Devin Booker would score points. Oh, he wasn't winning, so it doesn't matter. No matter what the Suns do, it's devalued. And I'm not fucking accepting it. The supposed two best teams or two of the three best teams in the Eastern Conference just fell at the hands of my team. And let's fucking give this team their due. They are an NBA Finals contender. End of fucking discussion. End of fucking discussion. The Suns are a Finals contender. And if you say otherwise, you're wrong. That's it. Anyway, the Suns are very real contenders. But I want to talk about MVP here just for a little bit because I'm starting to see a lot of stuff about Steph Curry for MVP. And, you know, Steph's incredible run that he's on. He's averaging 40 points a game for a month or whatever. And, you know, all that stuff is amazing. But I think we really need to contextualize everything that's going on. Because I've spent years sitting here saying that Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. And he should never be questioned. And Ray Allen shouldn't even be mentioned. And all these other people should never even be discussed. 
in Steph Curry's name. And I said that he was one of the best players in the league and was underrated. And everyone told me that I was crazy and I had no idea what I was talking about. And now that for a month, he's shooting a bunch of threes in a season where there's basically no fans in the stands. So there's a whole lot less people distracting you. Their entire offense of the Warriors is constructed in order to allow Steph Curry to shoot threes. And the entire team is garbage, so that's the only team that they want to do. And again, the offensive numbers are through the roof because of all these different factors of not having fans and all these things. I'm supposed to sit here and suddenly believe that Steph Curry is the MVP? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but no. I'm the one that's been sitting here for years and telling you all that you were underrating Steph, that you were missing the point of Steph, and that you were missing the point of how efficient this guy was and how incredible it was. And now you've all missed the point. You've all missed the boat to the point that you think that he's like literally the best player in the league and that no one should even be discussed with him because of one month. You know, I will literally hear people sit here and talk to me about recency bias and how you forget what happened two weeks ago and blah, 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 blah. And then they'll sit here and say that Steph should be the MVP for a 500 team based on a month of basketball. This shit is ludicrous. This is absolutely fucking ludicrous. I understand how good Steph Curry is. People are like, he now leads the league in scoring at 31-something points a game. So fucking what? James Harden didn't win last year averaging, like, what, 36 a game or some ridiculous number? Like, who cares what his fucking points a game are? And I don't really care about, well, you know, his teammates aren't very good, so we can't ignore team context. Fucking excuse me, I had to ignore team context for years when I was told why Devin Booker wasn't an all-star when he was shooting fucking almost 50-40-90, putting up 27-6-4. So... Please excuse me if I don't want to hear this bullshit about how team context, blah, 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 whatever. I've been fucking sitting here for years telling all of you that you underrated Steph Curry and that you ignored what a good player he was. And now this year, suddenly that he's having a run, suddenly everyone's like, well, Steph Curry is the best player in the league. And all of you don't even understand it, blah, blah, blah. You're all fucking idiots. You're all morons. Yeah, this I, I'm so fucking tired of this bullshit. I'm so fucking tired of this recency bias bullshit. You you literally can't see the forest for the trees. So many people that participate in these discussions literally can't remember beyond a month ago. And the idea that Nikola Jokic is going to be ruled out of the MVP debate or removed because of one month of Steph playing basketball. Like, dude, I have had to sit here and listen to people talk about how Steph's run right now is the greatest basketball of all time. And those same people will then talk about how the last two months of basketball have been some of the worst basketball ever. And we're in the doldrums of the season, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> None of those things make sense. None of them track. And I'm not trying to sit here and talk down about Steph. This is the shit that drives me nuts. It's, it's incredible what he's doing. It's great. But we can't actually talk about what he's doing in context. We can't actually talk about what he's doing and how great it is because we have to change the entire season MVP debate to discuss the last 20 games or last 15 games or last 10 games. That's not how this shit fucking goes, man. And I just get so tired of, well, the first three, four months of the season don't matter. The last 10 games are incredible. Are you fucking serious? And 
If you think I'm crazy, I literally have had to sit here and listen to local sports people talk about how there's going to be a seismic shift in the MVP race towards Chris Paul. No, there's fucking not. I've had to sit here and listen to MVP talk from people from ESPN about Joel Embiid because literally single, it seems like every single one of them has an MVP uh, bet ticket on Embiid because they're all like, it's like Zach Lowe and Ramona Shelburne and Brian Winhorst and, um, Rachel Nichols, like all the fucking talking heads are out there like, how is Joel Embiid not the MVP? Blah, 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 blah. COVID and back-to-backs, who cares about that? (laughs) Nikola Jokic is getting shit on from all fucking angles of the sports universe. And this shit is pissing me the fuck off. This shit is pissing me the fuck off, okay? Nikola Jokic is your fucking MVP. That's it. Joel Embiid deserves to be second. Absolutely. But that's that's fucking it. You, You can't miss like a third of the season and be the MVP. It's never happened and it shouldn't happen now. And if Giannis is going to be ruled out of the MVP simply because, you know, no one's ever won three MVPs in a row without winning a championship, then Joel Embiid certainly deserves to be ruled out for, you know, missing a third of the goddamn season. I'm sorry that injuries happened, but that's part of it. That's literally part of this shit. And it's just, it's, we're reaching a point where this shit is insane. The, you know, we've all laughed at the most recent episode of, you know, the Hoop Collective with, not the most recent episode, but the most recent episode from last week with Bon Temps and uh, McMahon, where Windhorse like went off explaining how dare anyone in the media not vote for Joel Embiid. Like, there's literally like a concerted effort to like somehow make Joel Embiid the MVP amongst M- amongst the ESPN people. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <sighs> Tired of all this bullshit. Nikola Jokic is a deserving MVP, and he should win it. And All of these people who are trying to shift everything. I love Chris Paul, and I would love it if he won for the Suns. But this idea of a seismic shift towards Chris Paul is stupid. This idea of Joel Embiid is so dominant on defense, it doesn't matter that he's played 45% of the minutes of the season. (laughs) Yeah, it does matter. These things fucking matter. Nikola Jokic is your MVP, and I'm sick of hearing anything else. And if I do hear anything else, if anyone else has voted MVP, I'm going to be fucking pissed. Jokic deserves that shit. Shifting to one other NBA topic that's a little bit old, but I think is really interesting. Um, Dwayne Wade um, partnering up to buy a share of the Utah Jazz, um, not the Miami Heat, where he spent the majority of his career. It's a really interesting thing because, you know, as soon as he bought a share of the Utah Jazz, Mickey Arison, the or Mickey Arison, whatever the hell it is, the, um, you know, the majority owner of the Miami Heat put out a statement saying, you know, that he had wanted Dwayne to be a part of his ownership group, but that it wasn't the right time when he retired and he was surprised, but thrilled for him to join the jazz, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is all bullshit. We know what it is, man. Pat Riley didn't want to cede any control. And Dwayne Wade has a name that matters. Like, is he one of... You know, the best players of all time? I don't know. Like, you know, where is Dwayne Wade? A top 50, top 40 player? I don't know. He's a very good player. 
not one of the best players of all time. You know, the best players of all time is what, like 10, 15, 20. Dwayne Wade is probably not in that group. Um, Maybe he's close to top 20. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to sit here and go through all that. The point is Dwayne Wade is a very good all-time player, if not one of the best players of all time. Nonetheless, his name carries a ton of weight in this generation and certainly carries a lot of weight with players. Um, And it's just really funny for Mickey Harrison to come out and be like, well, we can't believe that Dwayne Wade didn't want to join the Miami Heat group. Yeah, you can. Because Riles was never going to let go any decision-making, even for Dwayne Wade. I mean, you know, Dwayne left Miami to go to Chicago when he was still at sort of the tail end of his prime because Miami didn't take him seriously. They didn't take him seriously as a guy who could continue to be a contributor for a couple of years. And they didn't take seriously the idea that they needed to, you know, take care of their veteran in the in the way that, say, like the Lakers did. And, you know, maybe they were right in terms of the team. Maybe they were wrong. But the point is, you can't sit here and tell me that that doesn't fracture a relationship. And you can't tell me that you didn't expect that that might fracture a relationship or that it might change a relationship. And so it's just really funny for the Miami Heat to sort of pretend that they can't understand why Dwayne Wade would want to be, um, you know, part of an ownership group of another organization when, yeah, of course you could. And, you know, who knows what, you know, his partnership is with, uh, you know, the new jazz owner and, you know, you know, Dwayne said they're friends and, um, you know, the interesting thing for me, the jazz have basically never been able to lure marquee free agents. They've lured mid tier free agents. You know, they lured Carlos Boozer when they were willing to pay him more than the Cavaliers were. Um, you know, they lured Bohan Bogdanovich. Um, you know, they kept, Andre Karolinko and a max like, you know, uh, they've had certain moves, but, you know, LeBron was never looking at Utah. You know, Dwayne Wade was never looking at Utah. Chris Bosh was never looking at Utah. Um, you know, they, oh, over the last few years, you know, the free agents who who moved, to, you know, Kevin Durant was was never looking at, at Utah. Um, you know, Chris Paul wasn't even Chris Paul wasn't eyeing a trade to Utah. I mean, it, it just, you know, Utah is not a primary destination um you know guys don't necessarily go there and i mean they're a good team you know i mean for example a couple years ago clay thompson was a free agent or about to be a free agent and you know all of the talk was well he's gonna go to the lakers no one even mentions a team like utah in those discussions even though clay thompson is a player that every single team could use like utah literally doesn't even get mentioned in free agent discussions. It's just sort of how it goes. So can Wade change that? Can having Dwayne Wade as part of your brand actually change those discussions? I think it can. I don't know that it will necessarily change the discussions in terms of like your top tier players. Like, I don't think that anyone is like, oh, I'm not going to Utah. Oh, no, wait. D Wade is a part-time owner in Utah, I'm definitely now going to Utah. Like, I don't think that's going to change anything. I don't think that's going to change the future of the Zion Williamson free agency sweepstakes, as it were. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that Anthony Davis would have considered a trade to Utah if Dwayne Wade was there. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that as Utah gets closer and closer to winning a championship, I think it's going to be a little bit easier to negotiate trades with guys with no trade clauses or to sign 
you know, maybe some aging, but really good free agents who may put them over the top or eventually maybe to sign a megastar to pair with, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell when he's around 30, when the Gobert contract is up. You never know what they may be able to do. Um, and I'm not saying that Dwayne Wade necessarily enables them to enter all of the top tier free agent discussions, but there's no way that he hurts them. Uh, you know, there's no way that adding Dwayne Wade to your ownership group is a bad idea. And I want to ding myself here because I've used the word owner and ownership in, you know, terms of NBA a billion times right now. And I've crushed myself and not wanting to do that, you know, so I did it, but I'm sorry. Um, having Dwayne Wade added to your managing partner group. You know, there's no way that it's a bad thing. Um, he can lend credibility to the organization in terms of what they're willing to do to cater to players. You know, maybe the Jazz took care of Stockton and Malone way back when, but some players grew up watching the way that things blew up with Deron Williams and Jerry Sloan. And then they watched an organization sort of flounder, and then they watched the way it blew up with Gordon Hayward. So I don't know that everyone, you know, players necessarily have the best organizational view of the Jazz or that, you know, the viewpoint that the Jazz are going to take care of their guys. I don't know that that's something that people necessarily think about the Jazz. And so I think adding a player to your managing partner group who can tell everyone else around the organization, hey, we need to do this to take care of the players and who can reasonably go into free agency meetings or, you know, trade meetings because there are meetings between agents and, you know, managing partner groups before trades are completed. But the point is when Dwayne Wade can come in there and say, hey, I was a 20 year veteran. This is what I needed. This is what we're doing to go above and beyond what even I needed. You know, that stuff matters. And so I think this is something that could seismically shift. Like, I would have been thrilled if Dwayne Wade had joined the Suns organization. That is something that would have sent me through the roof. So the fact that a competing organization that, quite frankly, I don't like added D. Wade, well, that pisses me off. Not because I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a great idea. And I think it's going to launch the jazz into the forefront of some discussions that they would otherwise have never been in. Um, I think a lot of times we sort of, you know, like when Jay-Z bought part of the nets and that was perceived as this big deal, but it was really just, you know, he bought some small portion and, you know, it was really just to make a good name for the team while they made a land deal in Brooklyn. That was really what that was all about. Or, you know, when Shaq invested in the Kings, like that's been largely forgotten. And I don't even know if he still owns that part of the Kings. But the point is, a lot of, you know, the sort of face of the team, you know, ownership decisions mean nothing. You know, when Magic bought part of the Dodgers, Pat Mahomes owns part of the Royals. They're not even in the right sport. Dwayne Wade coming to the Jazz. This is a dude who just retired who is competitive as fuck, who has literally been on television recently telling dudes what it is, telling young kids what it is, kids who are watching. And now he's coming in to recruit, to be the face of an ownership group. I just think this is a really good idea. And I hate it. I hate it a lot because I hate Utah. I hate the Jazz. I hate everything about that team. 
and that organization. And this is a phenomenal home run idea. And I really fucking hate it when the Jazz do phenomenal home run things, but this is one of them. So, um, you know, good on them, but fuck them also, because I fucking hate that. Of course, this happens after I posted my fuck the Utah Jazz episode. Goddamn Jazz. A couple other things I want to talk about. One thing I want to take a victory lap on. Um, go on Twitter, look at my profile. You can see that six days before Tommy Lloyd was hired by the University of Arizona Wildcats as basketball coach, I said that he would be hired by the University of Arizona Wildcats as basketball coach because I knew that information. Today, a bunch of other recruit information that I told a bunch of people would occur followed up. Didn't want to post that information, truthfully. I didn't want to go public with, like, recruit information. I felt weird about publishing stuff about recruits. Like, it felt weird to me the idea that, like, I knew information about where young kids were going to transfer or things like that. Like that felt weird to me to report that stuff. Like I didn't really want to go in on that. People can choose not to believe me. I don't care. I told a bunch of people before and it would happen. Don't believe me. I don't give a shit. The point is I publicly said that Tommy Lloyd would take the Arizona job. He did. I told a bunch of people that a bunch of recruits would switch to Arizona. They did choose to believe me, choose not to believe me. The point is I think this is a great move for Arizona. We all know that, you know, leading into this, that a lot of, you know, the former Arizona players were not happy with, you know, this potential hire. You know, all of the sound bites about Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson, blah, blah, blah. There was a lot of stuff about, you know, why, you know, this was essentially a bad hire. Why Tommy Lloyd wasn't the guy. Why you needed to hire, you know, an, a head coach, not an assistant coach, blah, 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 blah. Um you know, it's all bullshit. It's all stupid. I understand players lobbying for their guys, and that's fine. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that when it comes to college basketball, the only thing that matters, truthfully, is recruiting. Um, coaching matters, and, you know, coaching tweaks matter when it comes to winning the NCAA tournament. But the reason that Sean Miller kept his job at Arizona forever despite the fact that he was actually a terrible basketball coach, was his ability to recruit. You know, you can go ask anyone who knows me. You can go, shit, go look at fucking all my tweets about Sean Miller. I hated that guy. I think he's one of the worst basketball coaches of all time. His tournament loss with DeAndre Ayton on his team is literally the worst coaching job I've ever seen anyone do in the history of me watching basketball, the man literally played Dusan Ristich despite Dusan Ristich giving up a basket every single possession of the game. It was literally one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Sean Miller was a terrible, terrible, terrible coach. Um, and literally the whole reason he kept his job was because he was able to recruit above his weight as a coach. Whatever his sweaty douchebag attitude or whatever his payments under the table, whatever it was, who fucking knows? The point is that Sean Miller was able to bring players to the University of Arizona. And so, you know, the team had multiple elite eights. Um, you know, the simple fact of the matter is you can look at Sean Miller and I, I can just prove to you exactly what I'm saying. The team made two elite eights in a row and lost both of them against the same team. Um, and both of them went basically exactly the same way because he's not that good of a coach. And that's sort of what it all boils down to is that when you have the same level of talent for years in a row and you top out at the same level and you don't make adjustments and everything sort of goes the same way. That's coaching. 
and that's the problem with Sean Miller, and it always was the problem with Sean Miller. Um, so I can't necessarily speak to Tommy Lloyd as a coach. Um, we all know that, um, again, we all know that he's a good recruiter. We know that he's a good international recruiter. Everyone talks about that. We don't know what he'll do as a head coach. I understand all that, but I, I know I know two things. Number one, I know that Sean Miller got Arizona as far as a person could while being a good recruiter and a terrible coach with no skills. And I know that there's no way that Tommy Lloyd is a worse coach than uh, Sean Miller because there's just no way that anyone on earth is a worse coach than Sean Miller. I literally would be a better coach than Sean Miller, and I'm not exaggerating or joking. I literally would have won more tournament games with DeAndre Ayton on my team than Sean Miller did uh, because he had no fucking idea what he was doing. It's the worst coaching job I've ever seen. He was fucking terrible and pathetic. The man was a good recruiter and not a basketball coach and had no idea how to do it. So there's literally no way that this guy who's been an assistant coach on a team that's routinely competing for the championship is going to be as dumb as Sean Miller. It's just not possible because Sean Miller was, again, a sweaty, psychotic, raving warthog who sat on the sidelines and screamed at everyone and didn't actually have a clue what basketball strategy is. There's no way that Tommy Lloyd is worse than that. So let's just start with the idea that Tommy Lloyd is like at least 10 to 20 percent better as a head coach than Sean Miller, because, again, it's physically impossible to be worse. And let's also assume that he's as good or better as a recruiter, because not only can he recruit within the United States, but he can recruit internationally. How is it bad to improve on coaching and also improve on recruiting? It is not bad. And the fact that Tommy Lloyd does not have a previous connection to the University of Arizona means literally nothing. And I'm going to tell you how I fucking know this. I'm a fan of two schools. I'm a fan of the University of Arizona, and I'm a fan of the University of Michigan. I personally did not graduate high school or college. So my fanship of these teams is incredibly based on familial connections and literally nothing else. So, you know, call me a whatever for that. I don't know. You criticize me however you like. I have a GED, so whatever. Nonetheless, I root for the University of Arizona, and I root for the University of Michigan. And within the University of Michigan, there is this sort of obsessive goal, especially relating to the football program, to hiring a Michigan man, or to hire a Michigan man to run the team. Um, And that is what has led the team to hire Jim Harbaugh. Any of you who follow college football know how disastrous that has been and how terrible he has been and how the school gave him an extension. Because he's a Michigan man who can lead the team to 8-4, and four, I don't know. The point is that this, this idea that the only person who can lead your school to prominence is a person who previously has a connection to your school is stupid. It's a dumb idea. Lute Olson had no connection to the University of Arizona when he came there, and he's the greatest coach in the history of the University of Arizona. Okay? So the idea that it has to be a guy who was there before, it's dumb. Lute Olson went from Long Beach State to Iowa to Arizona, and he is revered at the University of Arizona as the greatest coach of all time. He led our school to the only basketball national championship that we have on the men's side of things like Lute Olson is a god in Arizona basketball 
and he had literally fucking nothing to do with Arizona basketball before he got that job. So I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that you have to have a connection to the school. That's not, it means nothing. What matters is who's the best person for the job. Is Tommy Lloyd the best person for the job? I don't know. We'll see. But we know that he's a good recruiter and we know that he can't be worse than Sean Miller as a coach. So I'm not trying to, I would have been fine if the school hired Damon Stoudemire. I would have been fine if Arizona hired any number of former players. That's not it at all for me. I would have been completely fine with those things. Okay? So I'm not criticizing the idea that Damon Stoudemire was a candidate because of what he did at the University of Pacific. Like, I'm completely fine with that. And I would have been fine with that. And I would have been fine with the idea that having a coach who helped lead the team to great heights as a player was going to be a good recruiter. I had no problem with that at all. But what I have a problem with is the idea that Tommy Lloyd can't be the coach simply because he has no prior connection to Arizona. That's stupid. Or the idea that he can't be a head coach because he's never been a head coach. Well, I'm sorry. You know, you have to get promoted. That's how life works. Those things are stupid. How this all works out remains to be seen. But. We need to actually just judge the guy based on what he does. And what he's done so far is retain a good staff and bring in young recruits that U of A was not going to otherwise have. Those things are good. I'm. If you want to tell me that the problem is that the University of Arizona hasn't had uh, black head coach, then I'm, that's a whole different discussion that I'm like totally listening to. And I understand that that's a whole other problem. That's a completely different problem. And I'm listening to that and I understand that. And I think that that's something that's completely valid. And that may have been something that the university of Arizona should have looked at. I understand that those things are very fucking real. But just the idea that Tommy Lloyd doesn't deserve the job simply because he doesn't have a previous connection to the University of Arizona, that's wrong. There are other aspects of all of this that I completely understand that should be brought up that maybe haven't been brought up. So there's there's a lot to digest with all this. It is what it is. Um... Again, I think it's a good hiring in terms of (laughs) you improved over Sean Miller. So, yay. Does it end up being a good hire? I don't know. Should you have hired Damon Stoudemire? Maybe. Maybe someone else would have been a good hire. But Tommy Lloyd is not a bad hire simply because he doesn't have a previous connection to Arizona. It's the only thing I'm saying in this case. And his recruiting and connection to a school that's constantly in the championship hunt. I'm sorry. Those things are good for our school, which is floundering right now. We'll take that. For now, we got to take that. And finally, two completely random thought processes that I'm just going to bring up and think out, and then we'll just end. Alex Smith retires. Um, Alex Smith has always been an interesting dude, a dude who was sort of a polarizing first overall choice 
was, you know, was understandable why he was polarizing when he was bad. His first few years, he rebounded. Um, he really became good in Kansas City. He was sort of unceremoniously dumped from Kansas City despite success. And then they were sort of right to do that with how good Pat Mahomes was. And then he almost rediscovered his form after a, you know, incredible injury in Washington. And then he just, you know, had to hang him up. And, but, you know, Alex Smith is just an interesting dude, a guy who, um, I always thought was a little bit better than everyone gave him credit for. I was always surprised that the 49ers benched him during the run to the Super Bowl. I know that, you know, Kaepernick was phenomenally amazing at that time, but he still was, um, you know, he had never played really. And it was a surprising thing. And I, I think about that a lot. Um, maybe it was the right move. Maybe the 49ers wouldn't have even made it. But I do also think about the fact a lot that the 49ers offense did nothing in the first half of that Super Bowl. I don't know. Just stuff is interesting. And Alex Smith had an interesting up and down career. It'll be interesting to see. Is he going to be a coach? Is he going to be a you know a media guy? Um, he was always someone who I thought was a little bit better than average. And, you know, for the first few years of his career, I kept being wrong about it. And then he eventually really came along. And there were some really exciting games. But... Um, this is an interesting career for Alex Smith. Alex Smith, there's a lot of years where it's like, what if, you know what I mean? Like, you know, what about the year where Andrew Luck threw four touchdowns in the second half to knock the Chiefs out of the playoffs? Like that's, you know, that shit is interesting. I'm not saying the Chiefs would have won the Super Bowl, but, you know, Andrew Luck just, you know, just demolished the Chiefs in the second half. And everyone was like, well, all Alex Smith had to do was, but he scored 40. <laughs> it's this stuff is interesting. So, you know, again, and also the, you know, the Super Bowl against the Ravens. I, you know, I think about a lot of that stuff. Alex Smith, a career, a grade of what ifs. And I don't know, maybe there'll, maybe there'll be like a Madden what if thing where you can rewrite someone's career. Alex Smith is probably a guy who, if you could rewrite his career, there'd be a lot of interesting stuff. You know, I mean, the Giants field goal beating the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl against the Patriots again, the Ravens again, you know, there's the the Colts thing, you know, Alex Smith was close to three Super Bowls as a quarterback um, for the 49ers and Chiefs. He was, maybe the Colts one is not fair to say close to a Super Bowl. The point is, you know, Alex Smith was... There were some really close calls there, and it's just interesting. I don't know. <laughs> it's just interesting. It's interesting. And then um, one last thing. Just going to say goodbye to my gambling site, Bovada. I've been gambling with Bovada for like 15 years, but Bovada has consistently cut away their customer service they've taken away all of their bonuses and cash back and everything that we as gamblers rely on to make up after that last loss bet i've pumped money into bovada for years i don't even know how many thousands i've won a bunch i've lost a bunch who knows whatever it is but they've literally reached a point where they don't care anymore and they've taken away every single perk of being 
an online gambler. And now that Arizona is legalizing sports gambling and a bunch of other books are going to open, I think I'm going to take my business elsewhere. So this is my call to any sports book employee that may hear this or sports book promoter, whatever the case may be. I am a person who spends thousands and thousands of dollars per year on gambling. And my gambling site has disrespected me and I am ready to find a new one. And so I am, I am putting it out into the universe. And I'm going to guess that no one's going to reach out. And I'm going to guess that no one's going to say anything. But you just never know. You just never know who might hear it. And that is The Blunt Doctor Show. I encourage you very much to pay attention to the Phoenix Suns, this team is trending very much towards an NBA Finals team. Yes, I'm saying that, and I understand why you think it's crazy and you're wrong. I encourage you to make your voice heard when it comes to the idea that Derek Chauvin being found convicted of murder was fucking obvious, and that we need to continue that trend across the country, and that that is not justice, that is simply obvious. Justice is police stopping murdering people. Police in other countries go to school for years in order to become police officers. In this country, you can become a police officer in less time than it takes to become a hairdresser, and we have to stop it. You need to go to college for years to become a police officer. You need to learn everything that social workers learn. You need to learn... You need to learn everything that psychologists learn, doctors learn, whatever it is. Police officers should spend years in college learning what it takes to be a cop and what it takes to wield a weapon. And then they shouldn't even wield weapons. Those things should only occur or you know, be allowed to be brought out in very specific situations. It's really fucking simple. We have reached a point where police in this country are allowed to do anything and no one cares even as Derek Chauvin was found guilty of murder another child in Ohio was shot and murdered Makaya Bryant so just ask you make your voice heard fight police brutality fight white supremacy we're not done one good verdict is not justice it is simply obvious it is simply correct justice is defunding police. Justice is crushing white supremacy. And that is our task. So as much as we love sports and we enjoy them, remember the goal. Take one step this week to achieve the goal. Peace.